0: Read in Revelation chapter 5. <clears throat> and we're singing, The Lamb Has Overcome. And I just, <clears throat> I don't always see um, very clearly or vividly in the Spirit, but I had just a glimpse <laughs> of heaven gathered worshiping the risen savior i mean that's we're celebrating this today and not only are we are, are we celebrating on earth but in scripture it tells us that they are back and forth not stopping and worshiping the risen savior and as they gather and they and they worship the risen savior they gather around the throne they're, gather, they're gathered on the Sea of glass 24 elders, there's lampstands, there's spirits of God. There's this beautiful picture of heaven that exists right now. And as they're worshiping and proclaiming, we're creating an image and a shadow of that as we join in with our praising and our worshiping. And so I just want to give you a picture in Revelation 5 of of how John describes this in his revelation. He says, And then I saw on the right hand of him of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written uh, within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open it or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken... and they shall reign on the earth. Yeah. Jump down a little bit and it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on, and on earth, that's us. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and glory. And might forever and ever. And I just think it's so powerful. For us to realize. That there are things taking place right now in the heavenly realm. In the spiritual realm there's a reality. And as we live on earth. In the kingdom of God. We are coming into agreement with. And lining up with. And becoming an image and a shadow of what is real in the heavenlies, and we're proclaiming that out on the earth. So as it is in heaven, may it be done on earth. And so I just want you to realize that when we sing praises and worship to Jesus and to the Father, when we're proclaiming His works, when we are putting our faith in a risen Savior and saying, yes, it has been done, and worthy is the Lamb, and glory to God, and you're a good Father, and we proclaim these things, we are ushering <laughs> heaven into earth so that as it is in heaven, it's, it's made manifest here. And we get to be a part of that. And that's a big deal. So it's interesting. We think that we, we may be from the, ground, from the ground up sending praise into heaven. But essentially what the Spirit is doing, it's bringing praise from heaven by its Spirit out into the earth. And manifesting heaven into earth. So we may think this is a a use my vocal cord things, a thing, and I'm here as a physical person and I'm speaking and talking and this is a physical thing. It's a very, very spiritual thing. And this is what we're to do. We're to come into agreement with Jesus as he prayed your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so I just wanted to start with that. It's a really powerful thing. And it's such an honor to be able to be here with this group of people to do that, and to do that together, because there's power in that. And, uh, you know, Easter, for many churches, is supposed to be this huge day of guests and stuff, and whatever else we may be used to on Easter, and and I'm just standing over there thinking, well, we don't really, I mean, we have a few guests, Welcome. Um, but it's not like this major influx, and I didn't really expect a major influx. Um, and I look around, and I'm like, thank you, God, that I get to worship with very close spiritual family on Easter Sunday. And we get to celebrate together, and we get to unite in our belief in a risen Savior, risen King. And so this morning, I want to, I want, we're going to focus on resurrection, and um, very fitting, right? Uh, we're going to focus on resurrection, but we're going we're to look at that in the context of what it means for Jesus, but then also what it means for us. And it's not to steal glory from Jesus, but it's that if we're in him, it also has implications for us. Resurrection says lots about who Jesus is, but it also says lots about who we are because we're in him. you follow me? So resurrection means that he lives. And so we've sang this, um, we've proclaimed it, and I want to read it to you in Scripture. And I guess you would call this the Easter story, in uh, the resurrection story in Matthew 28, verse 1 through 9. So you guys can follow on the screen here. It says, Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, And came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So already this whole thing is wrapped in supernatural. It's already wrapped in spirit. It's not a physical thing, right? And so he sat on the stone. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So here are these these men and they see this angel and they, they freeze and they become like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, to the women, excuse me, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Amen. As he said, as he said, it was according to the words that Jesus spoke. He predicted his resurrection. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And so we have this amazing image of the tomb where Jesus was laid. This, the, this stone was rolled away and he's not there. He's risen. So they get this moment where they peer into this tomb and there's no body. And then they they are obedient to the, to the message that the angel gives them. They begin to go, and as they go, Jesus meets them there, and he's like, surprise, <laughs> here I am, right? Um, it's very interesting, it's like, greetings, you know? <laughs> um, and so, uh, we have this story of this risen Savior. And so, we're going to see that he continues to um, speak to his disciples Pre ascension, which means he, he talks to his disciples before he uh, ascends into heaven, and then after his ascension, he continues to engage and interact with mankind. And so we have, um, I want to make the statement first before we move forward is that we believe in a risen Savior and King, in a living speaking acting God who is alive and is not dead. So when we engage with the Father, when we engage with Christ, we're engaging living, acting, active beings. For lack of a better phrase, God's not dead. (laughs) They made a movie about this, and I got a text from all my friends who watched it that God's not dead. But God's not dead. And let me tell you, That there was a moment in my relationship with God and and there was a moment in my relationship with Scripture where I I crossed over from, from reading about and thinking about a risen Savior and a living God to actually having faith that our God is living and that He engages with people today in a real experiential and tangible way. And so I would much rather introduce people to a living Jesus than try and introduce them to information about a living Jesus. Do you catch the disconnect? I can give information all day long about a risen Savior, but there is a living God, a living Jesus, Christ, who engages and interacts with human beings on a daily basis. He does it in various ways. So let's look real quick at just pre-ascension interaction with his creation. So he gives the Great Commission. We know later on in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. So he promises presence as we move forward in his mission, right? I'm going to be with you. And he, he, he then later um, gives instruction to wait for the Spirit. So he says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Now in, in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, um, he tells them to go. He says, don't wait, uh, don't leave Jerusalem, excuse me, he tells them to wait. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So pre-ascension, Jesus is uh, spending time interacting with his disciples. So he's, he's died on a cross, he's come back from the grave, and he's appearing, he's manifesting, and he's speaking to his disciples. Um, another place it says, uh, "...after his suffering he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive." He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we have a post-resurrection Jesus, pre-ascension, interacting with people over a span of 40 days, teaching about the kingdom and giving instruction on things to come, right? So then we see Acts verse 1 or excuse me chapter 1 verse 9, we see the ascension. He ascends and after he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So we have resurrected Christ interacting with disciples, promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. He ascends, and they watch him disappear into the sky. So Jesus is risen, he's alive, and now he's ascended. And Scripture says that he's been given all authority and power. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father, and he intercedes on our behalf. He's the great high priest who's passed through the veil. Not a veil made by man in a temple, but into the heavenlies. And he's seated there. And Scripture tells us we're seated with him. We're seated there with him. That's an amazing thing. So as we, if we're in Christ and he's there, we're there too as well in our spirit. But we still have this flesh, right? this skin suit and this mind and we we navigate the earth but we're in relationship and we're in position right and so i was thinking about this last night and more and more i'm finding myself having to live positionally instead of performance based so i'm living position based versus performance based because on a daily basis i see that there are different ways that i continue to fall short of the law and I continue to fall short of being able to work my way into salvation. So we know that performance-based Christianity is that, that doesn't work. But position-based Christianity is the Christianity we're called to in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Right? For if you're in Christ. And it says it all through Scripture. It's read like Galatians and And Ephesians, and there are many, many, many verses that say in Christ. So we we live a positional Christianity because of what Jesus did. So, and we'll talk about this in a little while. But because He's resurrected, we are resurrected, and so we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to talk about how um, Jesus continues to appear and engage with people in a real way, and people have experience and they have testimony. Of the way that Jesus has interacted with them, so we see His ascension. So He's in heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. Acts Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, Jesus or excuse me, the Holy Spirit comes and fills people, and it's in accordance to to Joel that was prophesied on in the last days. I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. My sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll have visions. They'll dream dreams. So there are all these things that Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is doing in people in these last days. So he comes. We see Saul, who continues to breathe out murderous threats against Christians, those who follow Christ. He's on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, there's this bright light. Boom! He's blinded. He falls to his knees, and he says, Lord, who are you? And, and Jesus says, um, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, let me just tell you that if, if you have a red-letter Bible, this is Jesus speaking. Post-resurrection, post-ascension, it's after resurrection, after ascension, Jesus then appears again. So his ascension doesn't mean that he's stopped appearing, he does it again, and he appears to Saul. And many can argue, well, it was, it was just that instance. Well, let me tell you, God has many instances and is continuing to instance in the lives of people <laughs> by His Spirit. Amen. And so Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And so here's an interesting thing that just kind of jumped out to me. I won't spend too much time, but I'll just make the point. We can talk about it later if, if we need to. So what happens is he ends up um, sending a a believer to Saul and then prays for him and the scales fall off his eyes and he gets plugged into, (laughs) he begins to engage with the body of Christ on earth. As he, as we know, continues to exist in relationship with Jesus, right? So there's, he's in a community of faith, but he still has personal relationship with Jesus. That's just very important. And so... We see that Jesus appears to him and then later, and I wish I knew the numbers on this, but later after Paul has begun his missionary journey and he's evangelized in Corinth and Ephesus and Colossae and he's began to plant these churches, we find in his second letter to the Corinthians that he has another, he gives us insight into another moment where Jesus speaks to him. Now I'm just going to say, I think that this may have been a common thing for Paul to experience. I don't think only once Jesus showed up. Now, let me tell you, Scripture tells us about Jesus that if all the things he did and said were written down in books, there would not be enough books in the world to contain it. And so I'm just going to say that the Bible is not full revelation of the works of Christ. It says it about itself. Right? So there are people who would crucify me for saying this. It's full revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? I'm not taking away from the gospel. There's no new gospel. There's no new doctrine of the gospel. I'm just simply saying that Jesus has done many, many things that have never been recorded. And we get one moment in the the life of Paul where he gives us insight into this personal relationship with Jesus. And what happens in this moment of his personal relationship is Paul says, so that I might not become prideful. And even before that, he talks about having a heavenly experience and not wanting to talk about it. <laughs> and so then, so then um, he says that Satan sent a spirit to torment him and that he would pray to God to take the thorn from his flesh. And in his prayer, he's asking for something. And then Jesus responds to him. Now let me just tell you, in this moment, there are many many moments where Paul is working through Scripture and he's referencing different places. He's referencing Moses and Esau and Isaac and Abraham and Jacob and Pharaoh. And he, he, he knows his Scripture and he references it. And that helps him understand how to communicate the Gospel of Christ because the Old Testament is about Jesus. And so he uses the Old Testament to, Testament to communicate Christ. Right? And, he, and, and so in this moment where he needs something to happen in him, take it away, take it away, take it away, we get the voice of Christ in his life, not a remembrance of a scripture in the Old Testament. Because Jesus is the living word of God. And Jesus is the living God, right? He is risen. He is living and if we look in, later in Revelation, it says that Jesus is the Word. His name is the Word of God. Jesus also says that man will not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus speaks to us. I believe it. it will always line up with Scripture. He, there's not going to be a new gospel. There's not going to be a new way of salvation. There's no new Jesus. There's no new father. It's all the same. But what I'm saying is in this moment, the Holy Spirit didn't remind Paul of Habakkuk 4.19, right? Jesus intervenes in a relationship-style manner and speaks to Paul, and it's recorded. So this is not, not just the gospel in Matthew or any, any other place giving proof of a risen Savior not only pre-ascension book of Acts giving us revelation of a risen Savior, we have testimony of experience and personal relationship with Jesus that Jesus is still living and speaking. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and so, red letter version, Jesus is talking to Paul. Okay? Let's continue. Jesus speaks to John... In Revelation, Jesus speaks to John. Revelation 1 17 through 18. I'll just read it to you. When I saw him, that, that is the Christ, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me. Interesting stuff. And said, <laughs> Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. And so John, in his vision, is whatever's going on... Wait, well, Actually, in the, beginning of, in the beginning of Revelation, he says, And on that day I was in the Spirit of the Lord, and I turned and I saw. And so in the Spirit, again, this is a supernatural thing, that our relationship with Jesus, this, this walk. We, we do it in Christ. We abide by, this, by Christ. We abide by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. So John has this moment where he's in the Spirit... And he turns and he sees Jesus. And he's like, ah! And he falls down, and Jesus is like, I'm, I'm Jesus. Like, I, I died, here I am, I live forever. So, again, I don't know how many years it was between John or between Jesus' ascension and John having his revelation, but I'm going to guess 30, 40 years. I don't, I don't know. Years have gone by, I believe. Years have gone by after this time having passed, Jesus is still appearing and speaking that he's the risen king. He's the risen savior, right? And, and I just think it's, it's very important to make these distinctions as I'm kind of walking through scripture and saying, okay, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Because it's important that we put our faith in a living, risen Savior, and we are believing that he's still alive, still revealing himself to people in a supernatural way by a spirit, communicating that he is who he says he is, right? And that he did what he said he was going to do. He proclaimed of himself, I'm the Lord of Lords, I'm the King of Kings. Later on, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the bright and morning star testifying of who He is. And so as He reveals to us who He is, we also move forward in this life and we testify to who He is. Because it's by the Spirit in us that we say Jesus is the Messiah. His Spirit in us moves in us to testify of who Jesus is because at some point in time we've had some sort of revelation that Jesus is who He says He is and that He's alive. Right? (laughs) Would you believe otherwise? Right. I I think it's possible that some people may look, read the scripture and say, yeah, I could believe that he came back from the dead. That's cool. (laughs) But when Jesus interacts with us and reveals himself to us in some way, fashion or form, like every time I hear somebody talk about some sort of conversion experience or. They'll, I mean, there's something that happens and they say, and I felt like this this warmth come over me or wrapped me up in this blanket or I just felt peace like I'd never felt before. Or, and, and I'm just going to say that that's the presence of God. That's the presence of God. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. The scripture says for our God is a consuming fire. And I would think if you started getting close to that fire, you might warm up just a little bit. <laughs> I felt this warm presence. You're getting close to the Father. He's, you know... <laughs> You may have been down the hall, but you're just like, oh, there's a warm presence coming. Or or I just felt this overwhelming peace. Well, who's the Prince of Peace? It's Christ. And so I would argue that as people say, and I just felt this peace come over me, I believe Jesus was there in the flesh with you. Amen? Amen? And we, we, we put our faith in that. Not everybody sees well. Not everybody hears well. But the Spirit of God in us testifies that we are children of God. And so there's something in us that... That rises up and we we agree. Have you ever just fully agreed with some, something? Somebody makes a statement and you're like, yeah, that's right, that's true. Or maybe in a more uh, feelings, I don't know how, how you would put this, but somebody's making a statement like I am now. And I'm I'm saying it, I'm speaking it, and something in you is saying yes. Right? And that's what happens when we're experiencing this time with this... Living God, there are moments where I get little, little bitty pieces of phrases, and I think we could all maybe attest to this. That as we're we're praying and we're listening and we're seeking the Father, He might He might say a a phrase like, "I've got this," and in You, right? There's no, it's it's not like in 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 uh, Jeremiah four eighteen it says, "And thus saith the Lord." I got this. <laughs> However, in your moment as a child of God, communicating with the Father, saying, "I just need your help," and then He says, I- "I've got this." And something in you, just like ah, you know, like you, you're—that's what I needed to hear. Yes, thank you, Lord. I know You do. I trust in You. You, You have all. You control all things. All things are in Your hand and before You and through You, and You hold the world together. Like yes. And you agree with that, that's interacting and engaging with a living God. Because he speaks to us and engages with us in the way that, that we need because we are his children. So Revelation 22, 12 through 16, we see Jesus again saying to us that he's coming back. So he says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic, arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So we have this so we have in Revelation Jesus having revealed more of who he is and what he's going to be doing to John. So post resurrection, post ascension, now now John's in the spirit and he's interacting with Jesus in the heavenly places. And Jesus later says or earlier in Revelation, says to the churches, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anybody would open it and invite me in, I'll come in and I'll dine with him. Right. And so Jesus gives personal invitation to us to interact with him in a real way. And I just think that's amazing. And we need to remember this and and know this as we move forward in, in celebrating Easter and believing in Christ, like, it's one of these things where we may try and use the Scripture to prove a risen Savior, but Jesus is in the business of proving himself as the risen Savior. And so we, we faith into that reality, and essentially we shift the burden of proof from ourselves to Christ. It's by faith, right? Jesus said that He would send the Spirit and the Spirit would be the one that convicted the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That the Spirit would be the one that would do the work in people. He simply gave us commands to proclaim and to make disciples. Regardless of whether that was in every instance was going was gonna to bear some sort of seeable tangible, lasting fruit. What he's done is given us his spirit that we testify of who he is and what he's done. And as we testify in obedience to who he's, what he's told us to do, and we testify of who he is, we speak of who he is, Jesus himself is revealing himself to people. And so how much more if we then partner in obedience and faith works and faith, faith and works, if by faith, and then we partner in obedience and we, we do what he said to do, proclaim, that with that he said he'll be with us. And so considering that Jesus is with us every step of the moment, sometimes when I'm in a position where I'm going to speak of God, it's as if I forget that Jesus is there. <laughs> and I think it's all on me. It's like when I'm going to talk about this, well then where's where's Jesus? Well am I faithing <laughs> that he's actually there with me. And so the point I'm trying to make is that we need to shift from believing what we believe about <laughs> and I guess begin to believe in if that makes sense. Believe in the living God. Proclaim that he's a risen a risen king, a risen savior. Believe that he's in the business of revealing himself to people and that people can interact and engage with Jesus in a way that he interacted and engaged with people in the scriptures. Right? Does that make sense? So let me read real quick Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that may, grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know, or do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So what that's saying is that we were with Christ in His death. As He died and was buried, if we're in Him, supernaturally we were transported back in time. Gonna go back in time, right? Back in time into Christ, and we died with him. That's like hard to grasp. But we it says that we died with him. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Jesus, having been resurrected, means that us being in him, have also been resurrected now i don 't know that if you you 've spent much time contemplating this, and I know that there's more contemplation and meditation to be had around the reality that I died with Christ and I 've also resurrected with him because i don 't remember having been buried and i don 't remember clawing my way out of the grave i don 't physically that didn't happen to me, but scripture says that when we're in Christ that this has already taken place. And so what is positionally already a reality, we can live from that place by putting our faith in it and agreeing with it. So I would say Jesus Christ is resurrected. I'm also resurrected into new life. That I've died to sin. Here And here's where it goes. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, he's resurrected, he'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, everybody say I, I. so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So not only, so, so what scripture is telling us is that we need to have a mentality shift. There's a, there's a major mentality shift to be had that we also should, should consider ourselves dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. And it's, it's a tricky thing because on a daily basis I know that I'm still prone to sin. You know what I mean? There are times where I, I want to sin. My flesh, my, my earthly, worldly desires, this, this body of death, it desires... In, in, in times to sin. But I can tell you that there's also a spirit in me that's saying, don't do it. <laughs> love anyway. Love, anyway. <laughs> love even though it hurts. Don't give in. <laughs> there's that spirit in us. And it's moving us. And so what that means is that there's life in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. So now we have life in us. So when there's An issue of life or death, for a mindset on the spirit is life. The mindset on the flesh is death. There's life and death that happens in our brain, in our mind, in our soul, and then there's life and death that happens through our words. But Scripture tells us that we've been given the spirit of life in us so that we're dead to sin, and now we live. We live in Christ, and Christ lives in us. So... You must consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin. Contemplate on that. What does it mean for me to actually be dead to sin? One of my favorite scriptures is the one that says, For you no longer have an obligation to live according to your sinful desires. You are not obligated, which means that nobody can force you. It's, it's not, you're not under the law of sin and death. That law does not rule over you. The law of the spirit of life and peace rules over you. You're not obligated to the body of death. You're obligated to the spirit. So it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. I'm going to read that again because I think that's powerful. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. And so when we come to the Father, we present ourselves having died but now alive in Jesus. And I think that's just a simple mind shift. It's a simple shift in our prayer. Right. I think we, there are times where we need to confess sin and get that out but I think there are times where we need to present ourselves to the Father and say I'm considering myself dead to sin and alive in Christ and I'm presenting, you, presenting myself to you as someone who's alive in Jesus and I'm coming to you filled with the Spirit in Christ alive presenting myself to you And it says, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but grace. And so the resurrection of Christ means that he lives. And the resurrection of Christ means that you live. And it means that we live. Because he's alive, we're alive. Because he died to sin, we died to sin. Because He lives, we live. Because He's seated, we're seated. Because He's loved, we're loved. Because He's loved us, we love others. Because He has all authority in heaven and on earth, He's given us all authority in heaven and on earth in His name to move forward His mission. We've been stamped. Do you know that when kings would send their, their people and they... They would call them apostles. This was a this was a term of the kingdom, of a kingdom, a monarchy, and the king would have apostles who were called it called people that they're they're called ones sent. That's what apostle means, one sent. And so what ha- what would happen is when the king would give an order a or command to an apostle to go, he would give him something that had a mark or a seal or a signature or a stamp or his name, that when they saw it, the, the kingdom surrounding saw it, and knew that it was a higher king and a higher kingdom, they would submit and obey because of the mark and the seal and the stamp and the name. And what has Christ done with us? He's given us mission, great, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Now go, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is a stamp. We've been sealed. It's as though He took His signet ring and He dipped it in a little bit of wax and He put it right on our spirit. And He says, "You're mine, and you have all authority to go and to do on behalf of of me." And we're priests and we're kings, as it says in Revelation, in the kingdom of God. We've been given all the power and uh, all power and all authority. Everything that Christ is, we are, because we're in him. Because he has authority, we have authority. right? Because he's seated, we're seated. Because he speaks, we speak. It's what a prophet does. Hears the mind and the heart of God in the moment and communicates it. Jesus said, I only, see what I, I only do what I see the Father doing. He also said when he sends the Spirit that the Spirit would reveal all things about Christ to us and then we would reveal that to others. So as we speak and we, we live and we move in obedience, we're coming into alignment with what Jesus commanded us to do and we're moving forward in power and authority in the Spirit as living people dead to sin, alive in Christ, having been renewed, no longer, no longer under the law, but under grace. And so the resurrection says many things about who Jesus is, and it says many things about who we are. And so what I want to do in this moment is I, I feel like anytime we... When, when I read things in Scripture sometimes, um, and it gives us a command, or it says a do or a do not... Um, Oftentimes, I I think very practically, well, how do I not do that? And there are practical implications. It says, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God to those who have been brought from death to life. So don't do this, do this, right? The thing that we've done by presenting our body and our members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, which basically says, if sin is right here, I've then approached sin, and I've said, here I am, use me for unrighteous acts. Right? I, and this is what I've done. And anytime I, I decide to partner with sin, I'm presenting myself to it and saying, have at it. And that is a dirty, dark, evil road. Scripture tells us that sin, is, it's, it, once it gives birth... And it conceives there's death. And we know that there are some ugly places that we've gone with sin. And that's a physical act, whether we're clicking something on a computer or, or putting something, you know, drinking or what, saying, speaking death, acting death. I mean, the works of the flesh are obvious, as it tells us in Scripture. The works of the flesh are obvious. But then when it says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life... And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Well, what's the practicality behind that? How do we do that? We do that by faithing in a, risen, in a risen Savior and faithing in a living God and approaching the Father and Jesus as a living being. How do I approach you? Hey, Andrea, what's going on? that's good alright Javier what's up you good okay I was just making an example of communication right? Rachel hi interacting with living people receiving responses from living people do we serve a living God yes does he continue to speak and interact with his people Yes. Can we engage with the living God and Father right here, right now in this place? We can.